podcast for the lobster. <laughs> My name is Tom Chick, and discuss the lobster with you, the listener. I've brought along Christian Matrisky. My defining characteristic is that I have a weird name. And with, with our lobster podcast or our lobster tagline, maybe two, maybe three of them, Kelly Wand. It's like a Charlie Kaufman movie, but Irish. Go on. I'm not passing judgment. I'm just wondering if there are more. Relationships are already dystopian. I like that one. Compatibility means having something in common, like wishing you were single. (laughs) These aren't taglines so much as bits of dialogue that could have been in the movie. I don't know. (laughs) These aren't taglines. How often are they ever taglines? They're just gibberish, as usual. Yeah, they look good on a poster. As we've seen from our, our listener, Cynic has drawn up some posters with these taglines. Be sure to check them out in quarter to three. Yeah. <laughs> so you're saying none of these would go on the poster that well? No, your first one would fit. But I'm saying the other two just sound sound like uh, bits of uh, narration you might hear in the movie. That's not a bad thing, Kelly. Wong. That's a yeah, that's not a bad thing. What are you yeah. – what's wrong? This, I'm furious. This is coming from someone that insisted we do this movie for the podcast, Kelly Wand. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. my fault that we're all here right now. But it's coming from the person who told Dingus, yeah, uh, the press on Return of the King is really bad. <laughs> like you guys thought I might have been pranking you. Yeah. Really Just good. have a, your idea funds to throw poop at people. <laughs> well, let me throw this poop at you guys. I'm going to submit yeah. both of you to a quiz. Submit us? Yeah, let's, we're going to see yeah. which of you wins. Okay. To be submitted to this. Now, yeah, let's be submitted. This particular quiz might be a little bit more in Kelly Wan's wheelhouse. So, Dingus, Whoa. I'm going to let you go first. What Whoa. I'm about to do, this one might involve taking notes. It's going to be a longer, more difficult quiz. All right. Uh, it's going to be more cerebral. Um, let, me so, my, let me get my diary ready. It, yeah, get your, get your diaries, your notebooks, whatever it is you need to jot down your notes. This goes for the listener, too. You guys might want to get something to write with because what I'm going to do – I'm going to give you eight character names, eight of them. Oh, my gosh. More than half of these character names are characters in the movie Criminal, which Kelly Wand describes as the movie in which Kevin Costner has a mohawk because (laughs) Kelly Wand seems to think that if you ever shave an area above your ears, it's a mohawk. No, it looks like a mohawk in the poster. It's like a mullet with a bald patch on the – uh, adjacent quarters, the fringe, the fringers. So they do it for brain surgery. It's because he's had brain surgery. It's not because of it. It's not a fashion statement. I don't. I don't know if that's a spoiler. Um, mm-hmm. Brain surgery is a fashion statement on the purest level. <laughs> Kelly, one, you haven't seen. You haven't seen Criminal, right? No, okay. I don't see movies about the moral underclass. That that would give you a definite advantage here. So of these eight names, the majority of them are actual character names in Criminal. The first one of you to successfully guess two of them, and you're going to go one at a time picking amongst the eight names, to guess two of them that aren't in the movie Criminal wins. Wait, wait. We're, huh? Are we going to get the whole list and then guess two yep. of them that aren't? No, no, no. You're going to get the whole list and you're going to take turns picking one of them that you think is fake, is not in Criminal. Oh, good lord. Ready? I, you I was... pick the fake name and you're supposed to we're saying the fake name, not is the real name. Is this the Gerard yes. Butler one? Which one's the Gerard Butler one? 
Well, Gerard Butler is not in Criminal. Criminal is a uh, Kevin Costner. It's a it's a body switch movie. Oh, uh, oh, it is. What? Oh, I thought you knew that. Oh Jesus! It's it's not good, by the way. I'm not recommending. You know what? It's it's awful. It's fun watching Kevin Costner enjoying himself. What's and the doing Gerard something. Butler Criminal movie? Isn't there a Criminal movie with oh, him? Oh, it's or? one where yeah, Jamie Foxx is his lawyer or something. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was called Criminal. It might be, but this is not. Costner's good. in a body switch movie called Criminal, where he has a mohawk. He switches bodies with Brian Reynolds. Yep. Whoa. <sighs> All right. See, Dingus, this is his, Tom's idea of a game. They, they pee in a fountain. It's just like that. What not that Tarsim movie where Ryan Reynolds switches bodies with uh, Ben Kingsley, right? Eisenberg gives the fountain. Oh, yeah, yeah. Paul that's Peter. a good movie. Ryan Reynolds just loves jumping around. Self, other people. Self, uh, self, selfless. 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 Yeah. selfless. Ryan Reynolds loves jumping around in other people's bodies. Yeah. Especially if it's Leslie Mann's. Here we go. The eight names. Dingus, you're going to guess first. Of these eight names, which one do you think is not one of the characters in Criminal? Here we go. Baxter Fang. <laughs> J- uh, please hold the laughter till they've all been read. Baxter Fang. Jericho Stewart. Quaker Wells. Well, you got to slow Billy. down, Holmes. Baxter right, Fang. Got- Jericho Stewart. You don't really have to write these down. Jericho Stewart. Quaker Wells, Billy Pope, Xavier Heimdall, Deckard Shaw, Jan Stroop, or Lyle Swan. Which one of those, Dingus, stands out for you as being so ridiculous it's not in the movie Criminal? Xavier Heimdall. Xavier Heimdall is indeed one of the names, the characters in Criminal. He's a, a oh. renowned hacker in Criminal. Yep. Sorry, Dingus. Kelly Wan, here's your chance for a point. I'm now going to read to you seven names, not including Xavier Hamdahl, because that is one of the characters in Criminal. Here we go, Kelly Wan. Which one of these is not in Criminal? Baxter Fang, Jericho Stewart, Quaker Wells, Billy Pope, Deckard Shaw, Jan Stroop, or Lyle Swan? Lyle Swan. Lyle Swan is indeed Fred Ward's character in the movie Time Rider, oh. The Adventure of Lyle Swan. Yeah. Not, so, did you know that, Kelly Wan? You got a, you got a point. Yeah. Good job. See, that's why I was worried <laughs> it was going to be in Kelly Wan's wheelhouse. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Dingus is the most generous of opponents. He so, congratulates his opponents. Now, Dingus might still, because there are two more names in here that are not characters in Criminal. So, Dingus, as long as you get both of these names, you'll still win. Ready? All right, yeah. Just pick one of these six names now. All right, I choose Deckard Shaw. Deckard Shaw is Jason Statham's character in Furious 7. It is not a character in Criminal. Dingus, you have a point. That's right. Uh, Did you know that? Dingus, the Shaw, was, yeah, he's the Shaw Brothers. Very good. Wow. But I think they named him after Deckard. So. Very good, Dingus. All right, so here we go. I'm now going to give you, Kelly Wand, five names. Of these names, only one of them is not in the movie Criminal. Here we go. Baxter Fang, Jericho Stewart, Quaker Wells, Billy Pope, or Jan Stroop? Xavier Heimdall? <laughs> See, Kelly's a very generous opponent. See? Now, uh, the uh, Jericho Stewart. Jericho Stewart is the main character. That's Kevin Costner's name in uh, Criminal. He plays Jericho Stewart, the renowned criminal. Who's wow. on death row? Yeah. So I get a point. Dingus, of these four <laughs> names, 
<laughs> Only one of them is not in the movie Criminal. Which of these names is not a character in Criminal? Baxter Fang, Quaker Wells, Billy Pope, or Jan Stroop? I'm going to guess Baxter Fang. Baxter Fang is Jason Bateman's character in the movie The Family Fang, and is not, in fact, in Criminal. Dingus, you have won. <sighs> oh, do we need to see ba- The Family Fang? Uh, you might. Kelly doesn't need to. Alright. <laughs> that means it's like uh, the change-up. Um, it's good performances. I'm not crazy, but it, Jason Bateman himself directed it. I just love watching Jason, Jason Bateman do uh, like non-comic stuff. Uh, and he, you know, he's he's working opposite Nicole Kidman, and he's doing his best to live up to what she's doing. And it's fascinating to watch, but I'm not sure it works. That's so you were totally messing with me by starting with Baxter Fang and making me snort at that. Um, I was just putting in outrageous names because I mean, Criminal is full of them. It's ridiculous. It's like, like in Criminal, there, the series, there, there's a Xavier Heimdall, Jericho Stewart, Jan Stroop, Quaker Wells, Gary Oldman's character. He's like a CIA agent, Quaker Wells. Like, what? Who, is that who Costner switches bodies with, and do they also switch names? Costner, I think Ryan Reynolds' character, I forgot, is Billy Pope, I believe. I actually wrote down Quacker Wells, so I'm glad I didn't guess that. <laughs> that would have uh, just I meant to say Billy Pope. Yeah. Can I change my answers? Kelly Wan, you can, you can change your answers to whatever you want, but that won't change the fact that Dingus won this week's quiz. You've been well, defeated. Congratulate, Dingus. <laughs> Uh, Dingus, as the prize, you can now get to tell the listeners what movie we saw. Oh, man. Sweet. Yeah, Kelly Wand, you could have won that, but nope. Instead, as the consolation prize, I, I should say, Kelly Wand, as the loser of the quiz, you instead have to synopsize the movie. Thank God it's not funny. Get to work. Uh, don't look forward to it. <laughs> is, that your tag, is that your tagline? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the entire opsis. Okay, what? All right, this week we saw the lobster lap right now. All right, I am gonna lap. Uh, I'm gonna lap very slowly. The lobster, the crack it. This week we saw the lobster, a 2016 science fictiony dark comedy drama movie about why the world is so full of dogs. It was directed by Yargos Lanthimos and written by him. With Eptimus Philippou. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. It stars Colin Farrell, Jessica Barden, uh. Angelica Papulia, mm. Leia uh. Sadu, oh, Ben Shaw, oh, yeah. and Jaro and Ryak as Bob the Dog. <laughs> the Lobster. Yeah. Uh. It takes two to make a dream grow right. Uh, the Lobster is rated R for sexual content, including dialogue and some violence. Kelly, one, did the MPAA miss anything that should be in there for that R rating? Uh, zoology. Uh, now, I don't know if it's just me, Kelly Wan, but I think the transatlantic connection didn't want the listeners to hear that. So let's give that one more shot. Yeah, I missed the after what happened after some. Some implied zoology. Glad we got that in there, Kelly Wand. That was that one of yours for Zootopia as well. Is it? No. No. Just kidding. Maybe. I hope not. 
the Lobster, which was released by A24, is definitely one of their more successful releases if you look at a per-seat average. It's only out right now in four theaters. Uh, each theater, however, um, did very well. It's, uh, I think it, it uh, did I read, I think it's one of their best per-theater averages. Um, but that won't really matter much until it opens wider. The Lobster's been doing the festival circuit for well over a year. So A24 finally picked it up, and we'll see how it goes when they open it wider. Uh, it's on Metacritic, where the percent oh, – no, where the average among various reviews is 82. On Rotten Tomatoes, the percentage of the reviews that are positive is 92. That's right. Right up sure. there with Captain America Civil Wars. Civil War. Yeah. That's the sequel. Uh, by the way, uh, well, yeah, I just, this is okay to call out, right? I just want to point out, I'm Team Iron Man, Dings is Team Cap, Kelly Wand, Team Spider-Man. Just in case any of the listeners were wondering, that's where we all fall. It's important that you know that. Yes, hashtag. Kelly Wand, <laughs> as the loser of this week's <laughs> quiz, you must now synopsize the movie. Oh. That's right. That's right. Hey, which X-Men are you on? I don't do X-Men. Oh. Uh, or whatever she's saying. Okay, what no, was I'm, saying? I'm a, I'm, yeah. a, I'm a Jean Grey. That's, I'm, I'm hashtag Jean Grey. Oh, the Sansa Jean Grey? Or, um, oh, that's right. She's play- oh, You know what? Maybe I do want to see this. See? Yeah. And she's a natural redhead like Jean Grey. I forgot. Oh, I didn't... Uh, well, I, okay. I, I think of Jean Grey as Samka Jansen. Like, I don't really have much of a frame of reference beyond that. Mm, they both have aspects. It's an aspect ratio between the two of them. Do you have any other questions about X Men? Uh, I, I will when we do an X Men podcast. Ooh! All right. Right now, right now, it's time for my booby prize, huh? Yep. What's that phrase come from? Did someone win a booby? Like. Uh, a boob didn't always imply breast, Kelly Wand. It sometimes meant a stupid person. Or a bird. So someone won a stupid person? Or lost one? Surprise for a stupid person. Here's your prize. A boob. Alright. That's how they used to talk. The lobsters. <laughs> God, what a nightmare. I mean, a lobsters. Glenn Close gets out of a car and shoots a cat. <laughs> Very good, right out of the gate. <laughs> I did some editing, hopefully. <laughs> enough of it. I didn't even think of that when I saw that woman, and now that you say it, I immediately, thank you. <laughs> it's not her? I mean, uh, yeah. The cow falls over while some jocks leaning against another cow stare her way enviously. Some words are all the lobsters. Colin Powell gets dumped as usual. He goes to a clinic. The ladies all name Colin. Backstory: I speak quietly. Dog, me brother. A narrator's all. Colin sat in a room while a woman asked him his name and backstory. He answered her questions. Eventually, the scene ended. <laughs> Do you know what kind of eleven? <laughs> God damn it. Yes, this is great. Uh, uh, do you know what kind of animal you'd like to be? Lobster. 
That's an interesting choice. Why a lobster? They're immortal. They have the largest brains of any animal. They're incapable of feeling pain, and they're not considered edible by man. Uh, yeah. Well, we can do a coelacanth. I look over at the push police sitting beside me. Well, I look over at the push me police sitting beside me and go, I'd come back as an amoeba. They look like they have it pretty cushy, and I wouldn't have to change much. Or maybe a grain of sand. The push me pull you looks at me a second, then exchanges bored glances. Tom doesn't know what a push me pull you is. I actually don't. I have no idea. It's the uh, animal it's like got two heads and no butt. It's just like yeah. a head on both sides. The Doctor Doolittle animal. Come yeah, Doctor Doolittle animal. Yeah. It's like a human centipede, uh, but cute. Oh, now he just made it weird. What? A narrator's all. In this dining room scene we shot, Colin's character is supposed to be hungry. The girl from Extras is all. Would you like some Buddha biscuits? We could grind them up and spread them on other Buddha biscuits. Another man's all. Oh, I have a limp. Me defining characteristics, explaining why. And deception. Another man's all. I'm Charles Nolfin Riley. I think my character's supposed to be from Sicily. My mother's name was also Sicily. A narrator's all. John C. Riley finished speaking. That night, the hotel concierge and his lady friend put on a play showing how they met cute. To celebrate, they walk in circles around the concierge of another resort. Since Colin decides he has no shot with Booter Biscuit, he hits on a girl who can make her noses bleed at will. Yeah, I edited this. <laughs> As they dance with Colin, she's all, Sorry I ruined your shirt, and all the nosebleed stains on it. I look over at the uh, train from Zootopia sitting beside me and go, In mirrors, Amy Smart's jaw kept falling off. Colin's dance cute with the 16-year-old is a success, or as Tom would call it in basketball, a home run. In that, <laughs> she develops a relationship with the limper, who shares her interest in watching her breaststroke. And swim. To celebrate, Colin goes on a jacuzzi date with Kristen Wiig. She reenacts a scene from the concierge's play while he watches politely. Eventually, she's all, I sink via moist... Colin goes to his suite and finds the limp guy beating his own leg with a hammer. He's all, why are you doing that? The limper's all, I'm trying to prove to that 16-year-old we have something in common. Colin's all, well, shouldn't you be staging nosebleeds then? Charles Nelson Riley's all, I think the maid blinked at me and thinks he's part Eskimo. He opens the refrigerator, gets inside, and shuts the door. Colin gets on a bus. Booter Biscuit sits next to him and prattles. Boy, if I don't get laid soon, I'm going to go daft. Would you like me to come to your room sometime and give you a blowjob? No, thank you. I have an excuse. I'm not interested. I understand completely. Boy, if I don't find someone soon, I'm going to jump out the window above my window, preferably before they transform me into an animal since I picked bird. Princess Leah leaps up in front of me and abrades. Butter Biscuit was Harrison's nickname for my muffin. I suspect because of the nooks and crannies, although he'd always say it was because of the leaky yellow discharge. Boy, could that oh. man on. Colin's sexual chemistry with Kristen Wiig becomes so noticeable it earns him some golf claps from the other characters. One day, Butter Biscuits jumps out her window. Since she landed face down, a spilled bag of biscuits nearby clue us into her identity. 
I'm all. What a crummy way to go. <clears throat> the narrator scowls at me. Then she's all, that night, as so often happens in Europe, things grew briefly heated. A lobster and a parrot? What's wrong with the both of you? Who would even notice the difference? Since I have a limp, I'm coming back as a pirate. That way, me and me 16-year-old will have matching eye patches. Eye matches. I thought she had nosebleed or tooth. They slap feebly at each other till Colin intercedes by saying something tentative. The next morning, upset sad, I kicked your dog to death. Powers changed you, Irishman. Come, be going right to the bellhop. The narrator's all. My upcoming character asked him what type of animal he turned her into, but he never said, although there is a flamingo in the background of some shots coming up. I'm all. I thought the flamingo was the limper. A French maid helps Colin find some woods outside where he hooks up with a bunch of gorilla with a U.E. bachelors, led by the French babe from Spectre. I can see where she'd have trouble finding a mate. Colin lives in the woods where the rule is that you're not allowed to have rabbit. He hits it off with the brunette lady. She's all, my hair's dockish. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Colin's all, mine too. Really? I'm not a Sagittarius. Me neither. Really? I think we were meant to be together. The narrator's all. I'm that character, by the way, and possibly the scriptwriter. Another narrator's all. That night, Leah seduces all. What's up with you guys making out during my dad's guitar solo? That's a little fruit. <laughs> <laughs> That's how Leah seduces sounds. Say, I have an idea. Let's take you to a doctor tomorrow. He's just the man to turn you blind. I mean, gay. <laughs> Later, and then she made me stab her inexplicably silent and unresisting friend and left me here to starve to death. Sometimes I wonder if our world order has a few issues to work out. Anyway, for us to be together, you need to be blind too. No problem. I haven't felt this strong a connection with another human since Kristen Wiig. Oh, I love you. Hey, you won't just tell me you did it, right? Colin? Hello? What if I just bump into stuff a lot? Colin? Fine. I wanted a dog anyway, but more for me brother since he was colorblind. Great. Now, instead of us having sex, I thought it'd be more clinical if I just showed you each of my body parts individually so you'll always remember them. Now, here's me belly. Jesus, put that thing away. I shouldn't have trouble remembering that. Christ. The next day. I'd like a steak knife, please, and not a Buddha one for buttering Buddha biscuits. Ah, thank you. Knives. The poor man's eye doctors. I'll be right back unless uh, my blindness hinders my ability to find the table. Colin walked off to the bathroom while I sat at the table. I thought about everything that had happened to him and wondered briefly about my own backstory. Maybe much like the humble lobster itself, I too was a metaphor for something. I look over at Margaret Thatcher sitting beside me and go, Wait, so who are you again? The end. Everyone, I don't envy anyone trying to write a synopsis <laughs> of something that's already absurd. It's a tough one. Right. Yeah. Well done, though. Yeah. No. C minus. Don't worry. They'll get better. <laughs> All right. You. I definitely I, – I wanted both of you to see this. I made no secret that I, I quite like this. I, when we did uh, our High Rise podcast, this is my over as far as sort of comedies about dystopias. I think The Lobster's uh, much more than that, very different than High Rise in certain ways. But uh, I definitely wanted you both to see it, although I'm not entirely convinced it's for either of you. Uh <laughs> How close am I? Dingus, you go first. What what did you make of this silly thing? First of all, I'm super happy that I don't remember you saying any of this during the High Rise podcast. I guess maybe I was uh, so against 
and not into high rise that I missed this, that you said this was your over and that you said it was a dystopia or any of those things. I'm so glad I didn't know that going into this because I had no idea. This is one of those instances um, of a movie and this is uh, why it, why my over and unders are kind of, uh, they're very closely bracketed because I, I freaking love this movie. Um, uh, is It's one of those movies that, so well does that thing that I love that really gets to me, that thing where I don't know what's going on in this movie and I'm not quite sure what's going on. And the filmmaker understands how to dole out information in a proper way without like having to do this whole thing at the beginning, even like Blade Runner does. Like, this is where we are. This is what the time is. This is what is happening so far. It just doles out information in just the proper way. Um, but along, I keep thinking, wait, what's going on? What are the rules? What is going on? But I don't feel like I don't understand the rules because very, very incrementally, I do understand them. I feel like they're being parceled out to me in a really reasonable way. Like, I don't know, like provisions or something. I I, I freaking love this thing. Man, I fucking love this movie. Uh, the synopsis, basically, if you, I think if you read any review or even the synopsis on IMDb, it says something about, uh, in, in, you know, People who can't fall in love are turned into animals, so blah, blah, blah. Like, that's the leading sentence about it. And I feel like that deprives you of a lot of the, the, the discovery, like when you learn what, as you mentioned, Dingus, when the WTF-ness of this gets cleared up yeah. is a lot of what makes it work. When he first calls the dog his brother, you yeah. have no idea what he's talking about. You're like, what? What does that mean? Yeah. Um, and, and these characters know all about the world before we do, and we are just – gradually let in on I'm not sure I'd call it a metaphor, but we're let in on the, the statement or the, the allegory, the story that Lanthimos is trying to tell. Uh, and you're right, right. yeah, the, it's paced very well. Like, I don't have, a, I, I lose patience with a lot of stuff that's just absurdity for absurdity's sake, but this, I think, even somebody who wouldn't be into that kind of thing, this is, I just felt very well paced in that regard. Well, and it's yeah, cohesive. It's not all just random stuff happening. Like, it's all part of a single vision. So, Kelly Wand, of, of you two being uh, my two best movie friends, I would have pretty much been assured you would appreciate this. Would, would I be right? Yeah. No, I loved it. I thought it was great. Good. Okay, we got that out of the way. Sweet. Because I, 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 I could see this not working. And I guess you guys can imagine. It takes a very specific sense of humor. I, it's very dark. I really like that. It's very dark, but I just thought – I mean I, I, I literally had some – I mean I laugh out loud easily, but there were some absolutely hilarious bits in this that mm-hmm. are so deadpan. Um, yeah. It's such dry humor in a way, but for me, no less hilarious uh, – it, and a lot of it feels, it feels weird to laugh, though, at certain points, and then you find yourself, I'm just laughing and I can't help it. Yeah, some of it's just so outrageous, and some of it is so on point, uh, just so insightful, and some of it has just real bite. Um, yeah, I'm laughing in admiration, usually. By the way, Tom, you chose a really great song for the beginning of this. Um, do you know what the the opening, the, in the opening of that song, but it's the Ruckenteurs, right? Right. Yep. Um, do you know what the what the guy says as they're starting to play? No, I don't. What? In in some versions of the song, as as the as the song is being as he's starting to play the song, it just like it's it's like one of these moments where uh, where it feels like this moment like in a recording that they just left in. He says, "Is there a dog in here?" <laughs> uh, yeah, because I did know that, and that's why I chose it. 
right. <laughs> wow. No, I had no idea. That's awesome. Yeah. But yeah, let's pretend that I totally knew that and that that was a reference I was making and that you were smart enough to get it. <laughs> that's why I, that's why I was so pleased when you chose it because because that's one of the main things I remember about the beginning of that song is is it goes is there a dog in here here we go again I mean it's a great little moment well some of the observations in here like that that bit about that you referenced uh, when you mentioned the movie Dingus about why there's so many dogs in the world and why endangered species or species are, are endangered that was a hilarious little bit um, and just well, there's so much I'm curious about okay go ahead. Yeah, it's, just, it's just like she she says, you know, uh, you know, and some people, some animals, no one wants to be, and that's why they're endangered. I mean, what's, what? What? That's just ridiculous right. and hilarious to me. Uh, and there's also that moment where where jo- where the lisping man, and I love the way that the the cast is listed. I mean, they're listed as like their roles. It, 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 it's not like names. It's you know the limper, the limper, the lisping man, Biscuit uh, woman, the yep. heart, heartless woman. Yep. Um, John C. Riley's character says, uh, well, have you guys thought about what animal you would want to be? Well, well, they asked you when you came in. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Are there some people who just go, I don't know? Well, the, the cast is amazing, and that's part of what I love. It's just, without exception, I mean, a few of the, the, the actors were new to me. The Like the hotel manager, apparently, she's got uh, a lot of credits. I didn't recognize her. Uh, the maid, I thought, was fantastic i didn't recognize yeah. her but otherwise even some of the smaller parts uh I, I love the cast in this i love how disparate they are but yeah. i mostly love how absolutely in sync they are with uh lanthimos is that his name dingus yeah with lanthimos's with his sense of humor and his script and his deadpanness uh mm-hmm. uh just everybody seemed to get it and this is something i enjoyed in high rise as well but whereas high rise was way more flamboyant and outrageous. This is just super subdued. Um, and I, th- I think it can be dif- difficult to be interesting and this subdued. And I think without exception, everyone pulled it off in this. Uh, just some great actors, including some of the smaller parts. Like even that blonde woman, for instance. She was hilarious. Uh, that the, blonde the, woman? Who the one who got turned into a pony. Oh. Uh, you know when she's when she's showing off her hair to Colin Farrell. Yeah. Uh, she just yeah, had like yeah. two scenes, and when uh, Jessica Barden reads that, that letter to her, um, oh, yeah, yeah. she was barely in it, and I just thought she, uh, just everybody, even down to those little parts, really got what Lanthimos was doing. I loved seeing Jessica Barden in this, by the way. Yeah. Oh, so great awesome. to see her show up. Oh my gosh. Uh, Dingus, she's in a horror movie called Oh shoot, something like The Dark Half. Uh, where uh, she, she's uh, she's a teenage girl. She's like babysitting, and, and something terrible's happened to her, and you don't quite know what. And it's super somber and sullen. And I just felt awful watching this movie with her because she's so vivacious and lively. And we liked her so much in Hannah. Yeah. Th- th- this horror movie where she's being victimized by some terrible supernatural force, and she's super depressed. It, it was just so glum and, and depressing watching that. Uh, so don't see that horror movie with her, Dingus. All right, I won't do that. Uh, well, she comes to a bad end in Hannah, doesn't she? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right, spoiler, but yeah. Well, we assume so. But in this, it all works out for her. This is her happy ending. I love her just sitting there with a knife. Like, <laughs> just like yeah. when, uh, when, uh, when the daughter says, stab him, Mom, and she just sits there holding the knife. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, can I just ask if either of you have seen anything else? By uh, this director and writer, 
by any chance. I know. I mean, he was nominated for a, a best foreign picture for a, a Greek movie, which I didn't really work for me. I don't remember a lot about it. Oh, you didn't uh, see? Do- did you, you? Did you actually watch Dogtooth? Yeah, yeah, I watched Dogtooth. I mean, it was a while ago, but I've, I've definitely seen Dogtooth. Dogtooth is All way. Right. Um, Dogtooth is more aggressively uh, deconstructivist, like. Obviously, a lot of what this kind of comedy is about is breaking down conventional meanings. Right. And if you go all the way into this movement called absurdism, the whole point of absurdism is to deprive things of meaning. I don't feel that's what's going on here. This is, I think, way more uh, kind of a satire about companionship, about about love. Uh, Dogtooth is much more in that absurd territory. At least that's what I remember. It didn't really work for me. Have you, have you seen it, Dingus? Yeah, yeah, I really actually I watched it this, this week. You can actually just watch it on YouTube because um, I was having trouble finding it. I really wanted to see it, um, but you can just watch it on YouTube, and I actually really liked it quite a lot. It's not in uh, English though, which uh, uh, I noticed in the in the credits for uh, the Lobster, there are credits for uh, the I think the English and French translation eh, translations of the script, uh, which oh. makes me wonder, like. Presumably English not being his first language, they got someone specifically to translate it for the French actors and the English actors. Uh, but Dogtooth, so t- tell us about Dogtooth because you remember, you've seen it more recently than me. Um, it, it's uh, I think it I think it works I, it, it works I, I mean I don't know that I necessarily agree with you that it's so far off the rails of this. It, this definitely feels more. Um, I, I, I definitely wouldn't call the lobster mainstream, but it feels more. This would be more compatible with with uh, with something like Sundance than say Dogtooth was. Um, but I'm glad I watched Dogtooth after watching this. Uh, I I mean I I really really loved Dogtooth. It, it just was this. It, it it is very surreal and weird, but not um, not overly weird. It is weird to hear all that Greek language because it makes me think of that. Um, what's the Titans game that we played um, where you're constantly hearing like uh, Greek words like uh, prosmagma and I can't remember what it was, but it, it's some RTS that we played that had Greek that there was the Greeks that I would constantly want to play. Um, and so it was constantly hearing that, but I, I really kind of loved it, although it's really uncomfortable. It's really, uh, it, it's really gross. Uh, it gets really dark. Um, but I don't necessarily agree that it's that deconstructive is the, in, in the way that you say it, because I, well, I actually you, really what, quite liked it. Here's what I would say. Like, I could easily – I could watch The Lobster and easily explain, here's what I think the point of it is. Here's what it's about. Here's its message. Could you do that with Dogtooth? Because I remember not really having that firm a grasp on it. Like, what what would you say is the point of Dogtooth? Is, is there one? Uh, um, I would say it's more related to um, parenting – as far as this, this is the fear of parenting as, as this would be more related to life and relationships. Uh, so, okay. um, it, you understand what I'm saying about the sort of the difference between the two of things, those two things. Um, so in this, in this particular movie, we're talking about relationships and, and one of the things they say is, you know, and we'll provide a child for you when oh God, that line was hilarious. Too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But but that is looking at it from a different point of view, and and all of the the sexuality in that is totally different, uh, but not actually totally different if you look at what the chambermaid is having to do and and how they are ha- and what they're forced to do and not forced to do, and then even how the loners view sexuality. Um, 
this guy's just got a weird view of sexuality, but I think these are two different um different parts of the arc. Like this is this is a parenting view of it. This is a coupling view of it. Well, certainly without I'm guessing without that Oscar nomination, he probably wouldn't have been able to make the lobster. I mean he had the, the cast that he got for this. Although, do you guys know this was originally uh, Jason Clark's role? What? Yeah, Jason huh. Clark. I don't know why he left, but he was originally cast in this, and for whatever reason, he left the project, and Colin Farrell came in. Oh, because yeah. I was so pleased when in the in the opening scene when I was looking at his profile and listening to his voice, I didn't I didn't know who was in this movie, and I was like, hey, that's that's Colin Farrell. Yeah, so I kind of missed what happened next, and I had to kind of watch it again. I can see Jason Clark doing it. It would be. I just thought Colin Farrell was so. Yeah. Like Colin Farrell, when he tries, to, um, not tries to be in the sense of, like Colin Farrell can be absolutely hilarious. Like mm-hmm. in Bruges, this they're they're very different senses of humor, but undeniably comic performances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and he's hilarious in this. Yeah, and it's a tricky role. It's very tricky. Yeah, it's because it's so yeah. deadpan. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and he, the, puts, he puts on a little weight, and it's just the right yeah. amount. Well, yeah, and that schlubby mustache, I mean, it's not – it's definitely yeah. not like a vanity no, project. No, it's not a vanity in a sense, yeah. No. Uh, uh, and I, I love, too, that within the, the framework of that deadpan demeanor, he manages some kind of – like you, you get a sense of the chemistry that he and Rachel Weiss have yeah. uh, without them being expressive about it. And there's some great moments uh, where – they're, when they're infiltrating the city and they're sitting with Leah Sadu's parents and Colin Farrell is spinning out his fake story where you can see her absolutely enjoying it, but she's having to pretend to pretend she's enjoying it. Um, and there are just yeah. these great layers to some of that stuff. Uh, yeah, so there, I didn't know also – like I had no idea that it was Rachel Weiss's voice until she showed up. Yeah, uh, uh, when she shows up, and that's that's one of the reasons why I'm glad I didn't know anything about this. When she shows up behind that tree during that weird training sequence, I'm like, hey, is that what? I was totally surprised. Uh, and, why is she the narrator? I don't know, and that's what I wanted to ask you guys because usually in these types of situations, I'm pretty strict about these kinds of things. Like, why does she know this information? What's going on here? I think I Kelly Wan had it. Kelly Wan, what did you do? What, I think what you mentioned in the synopsis. I don't think. I mean, maybe it's just a throwaway comment. But why do you think she's the narrator? Because she's a metaphor for something. Is <laughs> uh, that part I said? Are you tricking me? Let me ask you guys this question: uh, What did you think of the ending? Uh ambiguous okay but i i I was going to ask you about that because you always explain ambiguous endings to me i mean i'm not sure that i have any particular answers i have very definite opinions on it i'm very curious what what you guys thought so yeah ambiguous uh dingus how did you feel about the ending what what did you think did you think there was a statement there we've talked before about the difference between ambiguity and subtlety how did you feel about the way this the the way this ended and when it ended um well uh, first of all uh, it's it's it, since I watched um, Dogtooth afterward. Dogtooth has sort of a similar kind of ending to it, um, in the way that the shot holds, and who knows what's going to happen next. But we can kind of figure out how what's going to happen next. Because what I started to think is like, how is he going to find his way back to the table? Um, and so what I started to think about is that this is the story that expands in her head while she's sitting at the table. Um, and this is what we've been 
what we've been watching. And that's um, absolutely why she's the narrator. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that the movie hangs – it's it's about uh, – so the movie is to me about the absurdity, the inherent absurdity, the, the dilemma of human sexuality, uh, the tension between needing companionship and our our human desire for individuality, right. uh, between belonging and solitude. Uh, there's a lot here about individuality versus society. Uh, if Lanthimos wasn't from – from Greek, if he was like from Eastern Europe, I would have wondered if maybe he was writing an allegory about communism. Uh, but I think right. no, it's very much about personal relationships. Uh, and part of the absurdity of that is the uncertainty of it, is the fact that it is not there, – there are a couple of points in this movie where someone is is basically asked you, – you can't have any uncertainty. Everything has to be a whole number. For instance, when he's asked about his shoe size, <laughs> either 44 or 45, we don't have any halves here. When he's asked how long is your last relationship, he says about twelve years. No, I need you know exactly how many. He has to say eleven years, one month. Wait, can I be uh, a bisexual? Yeah. Exactly. I love like that. By the way, too, that the comedy in that moment of him considering, you, you can totally see him doing it too. Like he's thinking, the character is thinking, <laughs> should I just say screw it and go for homosexuality? Uh, just the absurdity <laughs> of that moment is wonderful. Um, so I, I think the, I, I think this is a deeply, deeply cynical movie, and. What Lanthimos is getting at is that you are you are you are completely screwed whether you're alone or whether you're in a relationship. Uh, there is no security. There is no eventual comfort. Uh, both ways of doing it are wrong ways of, of living. Of and they're both unique to being human. I mean, that's the whole gag about being turned into an animal. Uh, and part of it is. The, the inability to know and to really share language and understand each other. Oh. And here's this woman who doesn't know, is this man going to blind himself, go to these absurd, painful lengths? And this man in a separate room, can he bring himself to do it? Uh, Lanthimos doesn't tell us, and there may not be an answer. I mean, I, I think clearly, Kelly, you said ambiguous – it's not leaning one way or the other. I think the point of the movie is we can't know. She cannot know if he's coming back. He can't know if he's going to go through with it. You cannot exist in a relationship or alone. Both of them are going to be hugely painful and destructive and, and almost impossible to bear. Uh, so I think that's what's exactly – you guys both got it. It's, that's what's going on in her head while she's sitting there. That's why she's the narrator, and that's why one of the reveals halfway through the movie – when Colin Farrell, and it, it's at a very specific moment, when he breaks out of his contrived relationship with the heartless woman, um, that's when the narration goes into first person. That's when she says, he never told me what animal he turned her into. That's the first time she uses first person in the narration, and we realize, oh, there's another person in this story. You know, She says that mm -hmm. shortly thereafter, he, he didn't know where he was going, but he was coming towards us. Uh, so, yeah, it is in her head. It's, these are her thoughts. These are the things that she has been told and that she believes about him. I don't necessarily think it's a, necessarily like an unreliable narrator thing. We can believe everything happened. But I think the point is this is all from her her, her perspective. Right. And he's doing so that to subtle. us at the end, too. He's, he's doing the same thing to us as that, that that is happening to him and happening to her. He's he's He's, he's making us in the same – He's putting us in the same situation that the two of them. The director, right, and the writer. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, absolutely ambiguous. Like, I, and I think the point of it is the ambiguity is uh, that that you can't know.
and just the irony too of for for them to be together, they have to lose the special language that they learned. Like she can no longer see his language. Oh, like they, well, that's the that is the worst part because they they have this wonderful communication that they develop, which is very animalistic. This whole like I mean it it, it has this whole animal like quality to it, the way they develop their language. And then that they can't share it anymore, and it's so frustrating to see that happen. Yeah, and amazing—the the, the fact that he gives her a flashlight, like the the inherent absurdity of giving a blind woman a flashlight, is just that's delicious writing. I, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you also you you called what did you call the relationship with the uh, heartless woman uh, contrived. So talk a bit more about that. Well, there's this, this arbitrary idea, like I, there's there's uh, the way that it does progressively reveal details is world building, um, and part of the world building is that you can only be in a relationship if you and another person share some arbitrary quality, right. uh, and he doesn't. He's not heartless, and she's not heartless, and it's just for fear of being turned into an animal that people will contrive. A, a quality in common with someone else that they see, uh, that people will force themselves into relationships that don't fit, where they don't belong. Yeah. And that's something that's a human tendency. I mean, how many of us have been in relationships longer than we should be? How many how many people are still married who probably shouldn't be married? Uh, how many people both claim to get nosebleeds when only one of them is getting nosebleeds? But um, she doesn't have that fear because she's constantly accruing more days because of her prowess as a hunter. Right, right. I mean, her her days are constantly stockpiling. Um, so how does he? I mean, I understand the contrivance as far as from his point of view. Although uh, one of the things this re- this reminds me of is this movie that I saw within the last few months called Demolition. Um, and it's and it's this thing that happens at the beginning of this particular movie where um, in the voiceover she says something about um, you know he realized that. Um, uh, one of the things you find out when a person doesn't love you is that you're supposed to cry, and he didn't. Basically, you're supposed to you're supposed to break down and cry, and he doesn't. He doesn't necessarily exhibit those same emotions um, where he when he's bringing Bob to the hotel. So I'm wondering why why that why that works between the two of them because that the contrivance of that relationship is so weird because it doesn't seem to work from her point of view. Well, she's always suspicious of him. I love the bit where she's telling him, can we have sex where I can see her face? Uh, let's turn the light on. Like, she's right. definitely suspicious of him. Um, uh, and and I, that, that's why she kills Bob. Like, she's testing him. Right. Well, she's even testing him then to see if he'll, like, lean down to kiss her. I mean. Yeah. I mean, so uh, so uh, I'm, I'm just not quite sure what is going on from her point of view. I mean, I'm not questioning you or anything. I'm just curious about the movie. I mean, that whole thing in the in the hot tub where she pretends to choke, does, I mean, he knows that she's pretending to choke and he's just waiting because it's a contrivance or because he doesn't care. No, 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 I think, no, she definitely cares. Like, he, he's, he's definitely trying to be a heartless person, just like – Okay, yeah. Yeah, just like he's, he's asking the woman. He's on a date. He's got his game face on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's putting the game. It's just like he's trying to ask the, the blonde woman about his hair. You know, what do you think of my hair? Uh, right. <laughs> And that's why that's that moment where too she's pretending to choke. Like, what if she really was choking? Like, he, he doesn't. He's he's just having to go with it and hope that it works. Right. Uh, it's this sort of blind leap into okay, I'm going to try to be heartless, which would be as, as ridiculous as okay, I'm going to try to be homosexual. Like in the beginning. Uh, yeah. Uh, 
Um, it, it, yeah, I, I, that stuff was hilarious. There, there's a great line where uh, uh, Rachel Weiss says it, but she attributes it to him. So she obviously – well, the layers of what she says and what he does, because a lot of times the gag is somebody will say something and then the narrator will say it. Um, but I think there are some really clever layers between what Rachel Weiss says in the voiceover, knowing what you know about the story and what's really going on. There's a great line right before Colin Farrell decides to try to couple with the heartless woman uh, where she says he convinced himself that it's more difficult to pretend you do have feelings when you don't than it is to pretend you don't have feelings when you do. Now, it's a little bit difficult to parse, yeah. but the point being it's easier to suppress an emotion than to generate one. Right. It's easier – to be false than to be genuine. So it's easier to, to keep something in yourself hidden than it is to actually express something. Uh, so I, I, that, that idea of the compromises that we make, that we pretend we're things we're not to be in relationships, uh, that's, and that's his whole episode with the heartless woman. And when she's on to him, when she outs him, he's going to keep trying as far as we know. That's when Rachel Weiss introduces herself into the story. Hmm. Uh, so why why are the loners? What's up with the loners being so into breaking them up and so against sex? What's up with that? Because it's an all or nothing. Just like yeah, yeah definitely. Well. Just like with the sizes, it's it's uh it's either or. You're a couple or you're a loner, and you're, they'll always be completely at odds. Militant. Yeah, loners. Whereas in the in the stories that are being presented at the hotel. If you're not in a couple, you're going to choke to death. You know, you're going to get raped on the street. No one is going to help you, and that is what the loners do. A loner will yeah. not even help another loner out of a trap. They don't even. You don't even. If you haven't dug your own grave, they're going to leave your corpse there. They're not going to dig it for you. Loners wouldn't even bother burying your corpse. So they don't dance together. They don't kiss. They don't <laughs> flirt. You can communicate, but you can't express any sort of affection or flirting. Um, so yeah, loners are just as ridiculous and absurd and as untenable as couples in this world. Yeah. So I was left wondering why why they seduce, why the loner leader was was so adamant about these things. I mean, uh, is it a reaction against our parents, or I mean, what's going on with that? I mean, it's a, it's such a weird. I, I know we we don't, a lot of these questions that I ask, and that is sort of the hallmark of a of a really good movie. I think is that it constantly makes me ask questions that maybe shouldn't have answers. Um, but it, it, she's such a weird character. Uh, well, I, so I, you. You could definitely like wonder like what's her motivation and what what, yeah. what what does she feel about this? What's her background? But um, it, it seems to me, and I'm not claiming this is correct, but it seems to me more that she's kind of a parody of a terrorist leader, um, yeah. and, and not even a parody. Well, I think this Caricature. rather than a human story, it's a satire, and everything is in service of a satire about relationships, about companionship, about about human sexuality. Mm -hmm. uh, so some of the characters, like I, I think she's a parody for a terrorist leader. They're basically affection terrorists or companionship terrorists or whatever you want to call them. Uh, so I think the idea is that she's supposed to be like this hardened military revolutionary leader. Uh, I think that's kind of the joke they're going for. All right. 
And she's hilarious too, by the way. Like I love Leah Sadu from um and Kelly Wand, why would you get of all the actors that we mentioned that you talk about, why do you get her name right? Because look at her. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. They got that right. Uh yeah. Was she named after Princess Leia? Uh Kelly Wand. Not she's... everything's about Star Wars, Kelly Wand. Oh, right, right. No, she's great. She's always great. She likes to be naked in a lot of movies. Um, this one, I don't know. There was a lot of there. Were, I liked all the littles before. Like, what was uh, Butter Biscuits? Uh, the so yeah, that's her name is Ashley Jensen, and they always yeah, in extras they were always trying to make her like frumpy, and nobody would go out with her. And I think she's adorable. I love yeah. Ashley Jensen. Uh, that's one of the many things I thought didn't work. Extras was so stupid. Like it had some great moments, but. What Ricky Gervais was doing, I don't know why he cast Ashley Jensen in that role. She was great, but she's way, she's very lovable, and that's the point of her being in this role, I think. She's too fun to be the loser character that he had in mind for the character. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and in this movie, it's absurd that Colin Farrell wouldn't, I mean, she's she's cute. They'd be cute together, and, and it's it's particularly gruesome when she tries to kill herself and it doesn't work. Like, there are weird flashes of brutality. Like, it's not easy yeah. seeing that poor – like, of course, it doesn't really happen. But it's not easy accepting the story where, oh, my God, this his cute dog got kicked to death. And then we see the bloody dog. Like, there are weird touches of brutality here. Uh, well, he picked the wrong horse to back. I don't think he wants to pair in that way, though. I mean, I think that in the in the process of leaving or his wife kicking him out at the beginning of the movie – um, I think he's got a weird effect about him that's a little more developed than just let me look. I, I think him finding the heartless woman, um, I, I don't I don't think he's suited for this. I don't think he's suited for pairing. And I think that's one of the things about this movie. There are some people who aren't suited for pairing. And I don't know that he is, and he's trying to, but but he's also looking for a way out. I mean, he looks... He he looks to escape, I think, in a way. But the the society as it has been developed, when they go into town, you you have to have a certificate to be in town uh, or in, in the city. He's paired with Rachel, though. Well, I think that, I thought the certificate was you had to have a certificate that you're in a relationship. I think. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, and and thing is, so on that level, though, don't you think that, as Kelly Wan mentioned. Don't you think that we're supposed to think he's suited to be paired with Rachel Weiss? Like, isn't it kind of tragic that they're outed and she gets blinded? But I think that once – I think he has to work so hard to try to repair, to try to find out well, what do we have in common. I mean, that whole sequence of, well, do you like this? Do you like berries? I mean, the whole thing. Uh, I, I, I don't think he is suited for that, but I think he's trying to be. Um, I, I thought they were hit it off pretty well. <laughs> well, they they developed a, a situation that works for a while for him, but I don't think he's suited for that. And so, if you're going to be alone, um, how do you make that work? But so, you know, maybe it is. I mean, who knows what happens when he goes to the bathroom with a knife? Right. Um, so you think he doesn't come back? No, I think, I think he's gonna come back. I think he does, but I think he's trying really hard to be that person because I think that's the only way that he can survive. I don't know that he's necessarily suited for that. Who knows? I mean, it's weird to watch the way that he reacts to all of those situations, even when he's dragging Bob around wherever he goes. And then 
how he reacts to Bob's death. Um, I so think I, that's the biggest deal think, for him. I get what he's you're losing saying. His brother. Mm-hmm. Good. I definitely get what you're saying, Dingus, but I don't think that that's what the movie wants us to think about him. Like the whole bit where rabbits equal infidelity, where he <laughs> uh, he jumps on Michael Smiley and is insisting on checking whether he's wearing the contact lenses. Um, I think that's him feeling actual genuine jealousy yeah. about someone else, quote unquote, flirting with her, like giving her rabbits. Uh, and I think in this in the context of this story, if the leader hadn't blinded Rachel Weiss. They would have been fine together. Uh, I think the idea is that loners can be just as destructive of happiness as the companionship Uh, faction. Um, But that's also a callback to the very first part of the movie. What what, what is? The contact glasses thing. The first thing his wife asked, he asked his wife, did, did he wear contacts or glasses? Right, right, right. Yep, absolutely. And and she uh, during the voiceover too doesn't there, isn't there even something about his class? Yeah, but he's obviously he knows like that's his identifying characteristic. Uh, and I love when he's asking so Michael physical. when he's asking Michael Smiley what look at that sparrow. Can you read this? Oh, well, you just <laughs> you knew what it said before. <laughs> that stuff was so hilarious to me. Um, right. See, the difference, though, is that loners – there's not like a police state of loners the way there is for couples. What? They blind like people. Oh. What are you talking about? Well, I'm just they, saying they real loners aren't like that. That's bad press. I was not so like re- to do out there. I was so relieved that the red sex didn't actually happen. Or the, I'm sorry, the red fornication or the red intercourse. Oh, my uh, God. I am so afraid of that. <laughs> Her delivery of that line. Yes. <laughs> Uh, okay, let's talk some over unders because this is a you know where do you put this movie? What, what's better or worse than something like this? Uh, Bingus, you told us a little bit about what you did with your over under. What did you actually choose? All right, so um, I, this is really, really, really closely bracketed, and this is more related to the whole idea of I'm not quite sure what's going on in a movie, mm-hmm. kind of a thing. So my under, and this is really close because I absolutely love this movie. It would be the movie uh, Never Let Me Go. Um, which I absolutely love uh, and does have sort of a weird where is this set in a dystopian future, dystopian parallel universe kind of a thing. Um, but I love that sense of, of never let me go, of not quite knowing where are we, why are these things happening. Um, and, it, you know, it, there's nothing here to give us an idea of like huge – crazy skyscrapers from the future it's just this english countryside or whatever you know here it's i don't know i don't know where we are the pacific northwest or I'm not it's shot in sure. ireland by the way this is definitely oh, shot ireland. In ireland yeah, yeah. ireland yeah. right it, it's kind of gives me the same sense of never let me go dingus you've actually it, it occurs to me now that you mentioned that in order to build a good dystopia, like you said, you don't start with the skyscrapers. You don't do a Blade Runner. You show us the world as it looks now, and then you gradually introduce the weird, different stuff, don't you? And that's how, like, Never Let Me Go. That's how the lobster works. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kelly One, what is your – well, you know, Kelly One, we're going to save you for last. Uh, so, Dingus, as far as movies that have that whole what WTFness about it where you don't quite know what's going on, what's a movie that's slightly better than The Lobster? All right, this is not dystopian in any way. It's just – I don't quite know what's going on, and it's very relationship-driven, so that would be the one I love, would be the over for this movie. Wow. 
Uh, and it's just, again, this, what, what is going on in these relationships? W- what is happening? Who is this person? Who's that person? Uh, how are these people related? How are they getting together? What's real and what's not real? You know, in, in a lot of this movie, I'm wondering, are, are they going to show us some, is somebody going to CG some animals at some point? We never have to deal with that. We just have some weird explanation of how, um, the surgery might work at some point. We never even get explained to what, what the what what the most awful animal or what heartless woman is turned into. So we just have to imagine what those things are, um, and we just have to imagine. You know, you know, even when the chambermaid goes out into the forest and the guy's like, "You're going to need a pig to get those truffles," and she sits down next to a peacock, um, and you just see animals moving around here and there. Are the is the is the worst animal a rabbit because they're constantly eating them. I mean, you just don't know. In in the one I love, you don't know. You have such a hard time figuring out at the beginning of it what, who, where, which one is who. Wait, what's going on? So that's why the one I love is just above this one. I love that pick because I should have put it on my over under. Because what I did for an over under dingus is rather than the tone of this movie. Uh, I, I, and rather than being something about dystopias, because when we did High Rise, I did a, I thought this was a better dystopia than High Rise. I was bracketing though, bracketing very closely here, movies that are about the futility of relationships. <laughs> uh, and the one I love, I think, definitely qualifies for that, but it didn't occur to me. Uh, so the two movies that I'm doing an over under, I would put these in a triple feature about the futility of relationships. You would watch them in this order, from the over. <coughs> to lobster, to the under. And they're all very different. They have very different feelings, but I think they all get at the same point, the futility of relationships. Going from a serious movie to a kind of ridiculous movie, The Lobster, to an outright comedy. The Under is this 1981 Albert Brooks movie called Modern Romance, (laughs) in which uh, he's an editor uh, at some B-sci-fi movie in Hollywood, and his girlfriend breaks up with him, and it's about his misery being alone and being without her. And it also has, has a pretty cynical ending, and it's just Albert Brooks just at, at his nebbish funniest. I love Albert Brooks. So Modern Romance would be underneath uh, The Lobster, and it would open the triple feature. So you watch Modern Romance, then you watch The Lobster, then you watch this uh, Australian little-known movie called Praise – um, oh, wow, yeah. Uh, which is, uh, again, about the futility of being in relationships and even being alone, how neither one of them is an acceptable state. Uh, and Praise is super, uh, super serious. I mean, not serious in the sense of grim or dark. It's actually uh, kind of lighthearted because the character, the lead character, is so hapless. Um, but it has a very grim slash happy ending in this weird way. Uh, so... Praise slightly better than The Lobster, The Lobster, Modern Romance. And when you come to my triple feature of movies about the futility of, of relationships, those are the three things you'll see. Man, I love Praise so much. That's a great pick. Um, and I, I kind of like your theme, especially when you include Praise. Damn. Kelly Wand, what would your triple feature be of an over, an under, and The Lobster? My under, okay, so my theme is uh, falling in love under duress in a weird authoritarian metaphysical spa. I, I like, <laughs> I already love your triple feature. Go on. So my under is Defending Your Life, that other Albert Brooks movie, okay. Raising Heaven. Right? 
And then my over is Human Nature, Charlie Kaufman. Ew, gross. Shel Condry. You don't like that one? I actually don't. That's like, yeah. Maybe I should see it again. I saw it in the, it's Sunday. Why don't you like it? Uh, why don't I like it? Uh, Reese Miranda Darby. Otto. Not Reese Darby. What's his name? Reese Myers. Reese Fons. Right, right, right. Uh, he didn't quite work for me. Uh, the whole, like, doesn't he turn into a monkey or something? Tyrion's in it. Tyrion? What's that? Tyrion Lannister? Dinklage. Oh, Peter Dinklage, yeah. Yeah, maybe I should see it again, but when I saw it at Sundance, it was like, eh, this isn't working for me. It does uh, strike Jen- me as a Kelly Wand movie, though. Yeah, what's her name? Um, not Jennifer Lawrence. Who's the girl in it? <laughs> the sister of the other girl? Who's the female lead in Human Nature? The that would, it's actually, isn't it an Arquette? Patricia Arquette. Arquette. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow, I can't believe I remembered that. I, do I uh-huh. win a prize, Kelly? Wong? I can't believe you bailed uh, him out. Before. You should have just let him dangle for a while since he didn't. I was. Done you're both idiots. I was definitely but, idiot. Yeah. Uh, she's like naked and covered in hair and singing. And oh, like, God. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's just icky. Yeah. No, it's awesome. <laughs> what are you talking about? Also, uh,. That girl from uh, The Lobster, the French one. The, the, the maid or Leah Sado, the one whose name you actually get right. I want to see and do her. One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees when I'm caught in between. Counting. One, two, three, eat a pun, get them down with three feet, everybody loves open. Uh-huh. Kelly Wanda, I bet she's never heard that one before. Also, THX 11. What about Zardoz? Is Zardoz in that category? He doesn't fall in love. Haha, uh, 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 you think I've seen Zardoz. What? You didn't see I Zardoz? The I first don't do early. Yeah, I don't do early Borman, sorry. Uh, Excalibur is where I begin with Borman. Anything before uh, Excalibur. Take Deliverance? Oh, that's right. Ah. Uh, you did get me. Damn. Well done. Um, the first line of Zardoz is the penis is evil. It's like a giant floating head. So oh, I, uh, yeah. I forgot to say anything from our listeners, but we had one listener say something. Mm-hmm. It's Grant Stewart who says, I'd recommend The Lobster to people just on its weirdness alone. So that's all. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. And then if, if they're like, oh, I didn't like it, you can be like, well... I warned you it was weird. Yeah. Yep. Kelly Wand. Yeah. Let's do this. Finally something good instead of talking about that idiotic movie. Oh, what are you talking about? What? All right. So this is three best walks away from explosions. I think we're all pretty pumped. So, who goes this week for the topic uh, choosing first? Since I'm introducing next week's topic, I'll be going first. Actually, I I, kind of like this eventually, because walking away from explosions is a dumb thing to do. And there's even... But you know that it's so dumb and played out if Adam Sandberg does a a goofy video about it. Yeah. Uh, So... Adam Sandberg? What's his name? Andy Sandberg. Yeah, the other one, whichever one. I don't. The, Patricia the, Arquette, the Dick in a Box guy. I don't. Yeah, whatever. Uh, <laughs> Sam Dingus loves him. Is, is, is he on it? I like him. Okay, whatever. He's on. You know, like Dingus, is he on Brooklyn Nine One One? Yeah, Nine Nine. 
Yeah, he's Brooklyn Nine Nine, three zero nine one Brooklyn. That's why I'm never gonna watch that thing. You didn't like Hot Rod? Actually, I didn't see it. Should I? Yeah. Mm, maybe I will see Hot Rod. Uh, no, I think he's fine. I just I'm not as amused by the lonely Mon- lonely Monday by those videos as a lot of people are. They're cute. Lonely right? Island. Lonely Island. Oh, where do they get Mondays from? Because it's a lazy Sunday, and you tr- kind of transmogrified that to <laughs> Lonely Monday. Adam Sandberg. Yeah, did I mention that I'm not a fan of his? I don't know if that came through or not. I will uh, therefore mispronounce his name <laughs> to the day I die. <laughs> uh, at any rate, I like this topic because I do think it is ridiculous to walk away from an explosion as a way of showing you that a character is cool. Because I think it's stupid. Anytime that you do it, like it's when when you do it in earnest, like it's such a Tony Scott thing. When you do it in earnest, uh, you're you're ridiculous. So my <laughs> picks are people that walk away from explosions, but it's not to show that they're cool. Uh. And I, I came up with three of these that I actually really liked. The third, my number three favorite, walk away from explosion, and it's not quite a run because he knows better than to break out into a run, but you can tell he wants to. The explosion behind him, he caused it. However, he also screwed something up, and it's not going the way he wanted it to go. So he needs to get out of there and take care of some business. And the business, by the way, involves writing a lot of memos. And this is a really interesting character played by George Clooney in Syriana. Syriana opens with an arms deal that Clooney – he's a CIA guy – is doing with uh, someone – I believe it's in Beirut, but he's doing – oh, no, it's in Iran. He's doing it with uh, these Iranians, and there's going to be an explosion that goes off when they buy these missiles from him. But someone runs away. They split up the the loot, and someone runs away with one of the missiles, so only one of the missile buyers gets killed. So he has to get out of there and then go back and try to track down the other one. And part of his plot line in Syriana – the government, they don't care about the other missile. You know, They've got other things to worry about, and there are these references to him constantly writing memos. Uh, and Dingus, I don't know if you remembered this. Do you remember how much Tom McCarthy is in Syriana? I, I don't. I mean, I remember him walking away from that car, but I don't remember Tom McCarthy almost at all. Yeah, so Tom McCarthy is like his boss in Syriana, who's the, the director. I mean, I think we, we know him a lot as a director, and he's a character actor. Yeah. But it was awesome rewatching Syriana. And thinking, oh, there's Tom McCarthy in a little scene. But then he comes back, and then he's back again. And then he's got a big scene with George Clooney. Uh, there's a lot oh, really? Tom he's that much in it? Yeah, yeah, very much, yeah. Uh, he's basically the face of – well, yeah, he's basically his, his boss who has to throw him under a bus and feels bad about it. Um, so uh, I love George Clooney's character in Syriana. He's not walking away because he's cool. He's walking away because he's – He's this effective but kind of schlubby. Like they make him so so scruffy with that gray yeah. beard, uh, and uh, uh, and and they make fun of him for writing memos. And he gets captured and tortured by Mark Strong. Um, oh like my god! Yeah, it's such a weird character in Syriana. Uh, I, and it, I just really liked uh, Syriana is kind of a big sprawling mess. It's Stephen Gagan, the guy that wrote Traffic. So you can kind of expect that's what he's going for. It doesn't all work. Oh boy. <laughs> Uh, well, the George Clooney parts just really work, and I really like yeah, George Clooney. Right. And they're introduced with a bang where he's kind of scurrying away from an explosion, not quite running, but needing to get out of there really fast to go write a memo. But he also has this look on his face, and this is one of the things I remember. And Syriana really, really frustrated me because it, it just got so much going on that 
I don't know. It was even worse than traffic for me. I couldn't follow a lot of what was going on. I had to watch it twice to even figure out what was going on. It made me feel stupid. Um, but I remember him walking away, and I don't know if I would put the uh, the look on his face as furtive, but it is this weird sort of I'm embarrassed to be walking away kind of a look, um, which I really liked, and I liked that pick. Because it, it should be like his money shot. Like he should be doing a fist pump. Like he, like that's what he was expecting was going to come out of this. And it didn't quite work out that way. And he's he's now got a lead. And it's like it's, he's just – he thought he was closing the job, and it's just getting worse. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah, Syriana is uh, I think even more difficult than it being a mess. It's really glib. Like I think it's a really superficial representation of the situation in the Middle East. Uh that, oh, wow, I don't remember that me. aspect of it. Yeah, that's a I good don't. point, Tom. But a great, great cast. I like Matt Damon's really good in it. The guy, oh, spoiler, but a guy who just got killed in Game of Thrones, uh, the Prince of Dorne, I think. Uh, he's like the main uh, Saudi prince in Syriana. He's got a oh bunch of great scenes. Yeah, I love that guy. I was watching it thinking, why do I know that guy? And it's like, oh, yeah, sure enough. They used him a lot in Game of Thrones. Um I remember liking the ending for some reason of Syriana. Like a. Go ahead, spoil it. It's, yeah. Go ahead, ruin it. All right, All right I was just saying I like it's it. A 10 year old movie. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> uh, I actually didn't watch all of it, Kelly Wan, so I don't remember. What? I mean, I've seen it, but when I rewatched it, I just went through the George Clooney scenes and didn't get through all of them. Oh, you rewatched it. Yeah. Uh. How does it end? Uh, he gets blown up by a car. With a missile. No kidding. George Clooney gets killed? Yeah. Well, that's right. You're right. Awesome. Wow. I like it even more. Yeah. So oh, he George gets killed Clooney. by an explosion. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. He doesn't walk away from. He gets tortured and killed? That sucks, man. Yeah. He has a tough day. Wow. I'll and say. It's like some dumb mistake thing, too, or something. I, kinda ra- I remember liking it at the end more than during. Well, really, the problem is... It, uh, Weaving all these storylines together doesn't really serve much other than to – because the ideas are supposed to all tie together, and they kind of do. But you could cut out all but maybe one or two of those storylines, and it would still be fine, I think. I'm not yeah, sure it needs it, to be a traffic-style movie. Uh, well, traffic sucks. I I'm remember liking Syriana. I'm not a fan of either traffic, by the way. Yeah. You're not a fan of real traffic or the movie? <laughs> it was originally a BBC thing, and then Steven Soderbergh did a, a, a uh, about – and I don't – it, of course, wasn't about the U.S.-Mexican border, the BBC. Like what – It was Afghanistan. Today? Afghanistan, okay, yeah. Yeah, the poppies. And, I mean I remember, actually kind of liked the, the miniseries uh, – not miniseries, but whatever they call them in BBC <laughs> series, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, we would call them miniseries over here, used to. Uh, but I actually kind of liked it. I mean, there's a lot of images in that that really work for me. But I saw that well after watching Traffic, and I liked Traffic, the movie, more than I think both of you did. Really? Because at the end, when Michael Douglas is like, how can you arrest your family or something? I thought that was kind of like the why did you say that name? <laughs> well, mainly I'm just thinking of, of oh, Javier. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's not Javier Badam. Oh, my gosh. Benicio del Toro, like oh. a dog paddle. Oh, yeah, Remember when he's in the pool, and, and that's when he has to have a meet? You know what, Dig is? It's like the origin story for his character in um, uh, uh, Sicario. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly right. right. That's right. Yeah, the pool where they're not wired, so they know that they're not wearing a wire. That's awesome. Right. But Dingus mm-hmm. is making us like traffic, Kelly Wand. What do you think of that? Mm, he remembers it better. Yeah. All right, Dingus, what's your third favorite? What do you make of this topic, and what's your number three pick for this? 
Uh, I really liked it. Um, uh, a couple of mine don't have uh, my choices aren't those like uh, you know when Kelly first talked about this and I in one of the movies I watched this week unfortunately was was that classic sort of cool dudes walking away from this huge fire cloud behind them not fire cloud but you know this fireball I should say not fire cloud this fireball behind them and and my first two don't even show that um, oh this sounds awfully subversive Kelly one is he gonna get pulled over if it doesn't actually show the explosion. I was thinking of pulling you over for Syriana because that was a conflagration. <laughs> nice Please continue, try. Delta Foxtrot. <laughs> so here's a quote from my first one. Uh, At least they won't be using heroin-flavored bananas to finance their revolutions. It sounds like a Woody Allen bananas movie, Blind. Or French Connection. It's from the uh, opening scene a sequence, sorry, of the movie Goldfinger, um, where <laughs> he's set off this huge explosion to happen, and then he goes into this this uh, uh, this bar, um, and uh, he walks in, and the cabaret dancer looks up at him and, and notices him, and then the explosion. He looks at his Rolex watch, and it goes tick tick tick, and the explosion goes on, and the thing that he's already said after like swimming in with his pigeon on his head or this seagull on his head and then getting out of his uh wetsuit i had to watch i watched goldfinger a, a few months ago for I, I don't know if i watched it for specter for something or other um and he he walks into this bar and this explosion goes off and everybody in the bar r- runs because like like uh you know plaster comes like uh puffing down but people run but what you realize that what they're doing is running to see the explosion and he's just walking away from what they're running to to meet his friend at the bar and to make his contact at the bar uh to go on with the movie which will then happen but it's this walking away from what everybody else is going to look at it's not walking away to look cool it's walking away from it as everybody else runs up to look what's that explosion we just saw Kelly Wand, is that going to pass muster? And what's your third favorite person walking away from an explosion? If you got to run to an explosion to look at it, you've probably missed it. <laughs> <laughs> That's my advice to those extras. Remember when Pussy Galore goes, what happened to Goldfinger? She says it then. Yeah. It's cool, huh? Um, my number three is uh, – Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. You're talking about a James Bond movie. Yeah. What do you think we're talking I about? I thought Austin he was doing Powers? an Austin Powers thing. What? Did you know that Goldfinger is a parody title of a different movie? Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I totally thought he was talking about. I was waiting for him to get to the funny part because I was like, "What? That's not a joke." When, when, does, when is he going to get to the Mike Myers making some funny reference part? That's Who's why. Score. All right, Goldmember, Goldfinger. All right, now I understand. People are always waiting for me to get to the funny part. <laughs> Still. <laughs> Wait, Tom didn't. Okay. I mean, I figured it out, but it's just I, I you know. You figured you cracked the code. <laughs> <laughs> the code of the title. Yeah. A movie that everyone's seen but you. You I've cracked that. I'm sure, I've seen it. Goldfinger. I don't remember any explosions in Goldfinger. I remember a lot of diffusals. Is that Did you remember the beginning where he, he goes into the? I mean, I remember him. Kelly Wan, the, the plaster comes down in puffs from the ceiling. Remember? In a James Bond movie? That sounds pretty epic, but 
That's why I thought it was like a Austin Powers thing. Like they couldn't afford to do an explosion, so they just shook plaster, plaster puffs. Like that's the that, iconic. That's the scene I was imagining Dingus describing, and then there was going to be a funny comment at the end, and it never came. So I was like, why did he pick that scene? Uh, I love that's one of my favorite entrances in a in a James Bond movie. I like Ursula Anderson's entrance, but yours is good too. Thanks. My number three is uh, in the movie Fair Game with Cindy Crawford and the Baldwin mm. number four. Um, there's a couple good scenes in that movie, but um, the one I'm talking about <laughs> is there's already an explosion going on in the background, and they're walking away from it, and she's annoyed because things keep exploding around her, and she keeps getting shot at, and it's getting irritating to her. And then the explosion behind her re-explodes, and then she's just all – she keeps walking away from it, but just like cringes like, God damn it! And then he's all, come on, baby, relax. It's fine. We're in an action movie. But, like, it's not even a slow motion walk away. It's like an annoyed walk away. And then there's, like, another explosion that she walks away from. So, wait, I, I'm confused. When does the Valerie Plame character come yeah. in? Yeah. Tom wants you to mention Naomi Watts at some point. Come on. <laughs> Remember when at, at the end of Fair Game she goes, what happened to Goldfinger? <laughs> Speaking of Tom McCarthy, by the way, Dingus, do you remember Tom McCarthy in Fair Game, by any chance? Uh, yes, because I quite love that movie. Yeah, he's one of the, the dinner conversationalists. Yeah. There's a line in the Cindy Crawford one where the no bad No one cares guy... about that one, Kelly One. We're talking about the good one now. <laughs> All right. All right, go ahead. Watch the... Let's hear this awesome Cindy Crawford line. It's the bad guy with the big uh, thing on his head, the pineal gland. Oh, the hat. Cop. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> they're looking. They're using. They're all ugly because they're chasing Cindy Crawford and the Baldwin. Like it's like ugly versus handsome. And then um, they're using computer laptops to track their movements because it's like the, that's because they're evil. And then uh, the guy looks over and he's all this cop, this Baldwin. He's very good. Yeah. <laughs> He's, he kind of snarls it, like, we got to think of something next, something better now, because he's good. Yep, right, this is this is the Kelly Wand who thinks that we're talking about the Gregory Hines movie whenever we say running scared. Yep. Did you refer to him as the Baldwin earlier? Yeah. Right. I forget which what his first one. I get Steven and uh, Daniel. <laughs> no, who's the one? Who's the lamer Alec? Like, he's handsome but dumb. Billy? Yeah, maybe it's Billy. Billy, yeah. I get Billy and Steven mixed up, because Billy should be Steven's name, but Steven's the... <laughs> well, Daniel's been much on my uh, much on my mind this week, because I thought one of his... Homicide? Days... No, um, I was hoping Harley Davidson and Marble Man would work out, but it didn't. Ah, no walking oh. away from explosions in that dingus? There might be, but I could not... I just oh. couldn't pull it together. Well, instead, I've got this for us, which I think is a fairly common one. Um, I love that Anton Chigurh, just he's really determined on getting to the back of the pharmacy to get the medical supplies. Uh, oh, it's yeah. not that he's too cool to turn around and look at the car exploding that he set up. It's just he did that to d- divert everyone else. He doesn't care. He He's not the kind of guy to gawk at his handiwork anyway. He's just got to get back there, get the stuff to treat his gunshot wound. That's my number two too. Well, the whole thing, quit stealing it's, a, from it's a diversion. I mean, he's he's right. not looking back because it's a diversion. Right. Yeah, it's yeah. for other people to look back at, not him. Yeah. 
It's also not slow motion. That's another theme of my list. You can't do slow motion walks away because those are all interchangeable. See, Kelly Wand, I would argue that if you put it in slow motion, you are acknowledging how ridiculous it is. Hmm. Right. Or that you've never (laughs) seen someone do that shot. (laughs) You're like, I'm going to take my time with this shot. It's never been done before. Yeah. They're gonna. This is gonna. People are gonna. Che- the stand up and go nice and cheer. How, he, how does he do that? He like stuffs somebody's gas. It, 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 yeah, it's one of those things that I'm guessing clearly doesn't work in real life. But yeah, he just sticks a piece of cloth in a. He screws the end of a gas tank off because this is the 80s or whatever. Feeds a cloth down there and then lights it on fire. Why would that work? That, that the fire is gonna work its way down the cloth and ignite the gas. And then furthermore, that the gas will explode. Uh, but doesn't it? Isn't it actually? Isn't that a I'm sure MythBusters or something has done that, but isn't that that, that does, like a car's if a, if the gas in a car in a car's gas tank catches fire, it doesn't explode, does it, or does it? I don't know. It's called a combustion engine. But I thought he did something where he he put something on top of it. I don't remember. But he's going into the pharmacy to get drugs, right? Yeah, and he's got to have the explosion go off. You know, shortly after he's walked away from the car. Yeah. Oh, okay. Right. He's going to get drugs because he got shot. Josh Brolin shot him in the leg, and he's got to do his like self surgery stuff. Like yeah, they yeah, both yeah. have to treat their own gunshot wounds. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, all right, Dingus. What is your second favorite instance of someone walking away from an explosion? Whether we see the explosion or not, apparently. All right. This town deserves a better class of criminal. <laughs> That's the movie Criminal, starring um. Kevin Costner as Jericho Stewart. Until he changes bodies with uh, Lyle Swan <laughs> and Bang Fang. What? <laughs> Bang Fang. Bang Fang? Uh, uh, Jason Bateman's character in the Fang family is named Baxter Fang. All right. Ooh! <laughs> right. This town deserves a better class of criminals from the Dark Knight, and the walkaway is um, when uh, Joker's walking down the hallway. Oh, that's a great one! Damn uh, it! After the coin flip, after the coin flip that Harvey Dent does with him, where he puts the gun up against his forehead, and then he walks out of the hospital room. Uh, Joker does and sanitizes his hands and then walks down the hallway. It's not the one outside the hospital later on, but it's just walking down the hallway and then click clicking and then things start to blow up in the hallway. And you wonder in that moment, is he blowing up Harvey Dent? Has he let him go? Has he killed him? We don't know quite yet. Um, but I love that moment where uh, I just love everything that he's doing, everything that Heath Ledger is doing in that whole sequence where he's got all the hospitals set up, all those things set up. But just that that just that walk down the hallway and it's not a huge conflagration. It's just boom, like a few explosives go off, boom, and he's just walking down the hallway. And then he winds up outside and a few more go off. And of course, there's the iconic thing where it doesn't work. And click, click, click. And then, but after that, he runs to the bus. So it's not really a walk away. It's a runaway. But it's just that walk down the hallway. Uh, he does actually walk. Like, he walks away from yeah. the minor explosions outside. Uh, and then he walks like, the click, click. Yeah, and then he's doing the trigger. And the, the great thing I love about that is he, he's not that worried about it. He just shrugs. He doesn't yeah. care. Right. And I, I love what that says about his character is that, you know, he, the, the, there's this line that Michael Caine has about some men just want to watch the world burn. Mm-hmm. 
He does. He just wants the world to burn. Like, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't see it. it. Yeah, he doesn't even yeah. care if it burns effectively. Like he, Heath Ledger literally shrugs when the explosion isn't big. Then it gets really big and he dives into the bus. But uh, that's my number even, one pick. I love that scene. Oh, that's your number one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but, but the outdoors part, like him, I, mm. that it's set up great down the the hallway. I love too, Dingus, how. You even see at the end of the hallway, the left and the right and the left and the right go off, working your way towards the foreground. But as soon as he cleared the, clears the frame, the one right next to him goes off. Like mm-hmm. it looks like they're going to be orderly left, right, left, right. And then one of them completely out of order goes off, you know, right near him. Like it could have it came like this close to hitting him, but it didn't. Um, well, that's so yeah. what, that whole thing where he's talking to to um, to. Uh, Aaron Eckhart is about chaos, and w- one of the things that I didn't realize until I watched it again this week is is what he what he talks about chaos as as being fear, um, and that he doesn't seem to have that. He, you know, he's he's creating chaos, and he, what he's telling uh, Harvey Dent is that chaos is fear. And you have to understand this if you're going to flip your coin and do this thing with me that that you're signing on for fear. And when he's walking down that hallway and when he's dealing with all that, you don't get any sense of fear from him. Right. Oh, and even when he takes the, you know, he gives Dent, he's just done this to Harvey Dent. He gives thing. him a loaded gun, he undoes his wrist, and he puts the gun up to his own right. forehead. Yeah, right, yeah. right, right. And that's when he says that. He says that this is fear. And it's that same, you know, that same sensation too. And he's sitting in the middle of the street, and uh, like like Batman's riding his motorcycle at him. He's like, "Come get me!" Yeah, like he's yeah, absolutely fearless, right? So yeah, I love that explosion. And the uh, when you're watching it too, you're like, "Oh, that's all they got," because it's one of those explosions where it's like, "Oh, they clearly couldn't destroy the building, so they just set off minor charges to blow out some of the glass. They couldn't do too much damage. No fancy flames." So you're watching it, and you're like, okay, yeah. that's, that's yeah. all they got, whatever. But then definitely – and Nolan knows you're thinking that because then the huge payoff – and I, I don't know if this was – I mean some of it must have been CG. But then the payoff with the pieces collapsing and the building falling down and the fireball, like it becomes everything you were hoping it was going to be. Uh-huh. But you were disappointed when you saw it at first. I love that explosion. But he's still not caring. Right, yeah, yeah, he just gets in the bus. Like, yeah. oh, okay, yeah, he, he doesn't just get in the bus, he scurries into it. I yeah, mean, there's right. this really great little scurry moment, which I really loved. And he does flinch, by the way, when it goes off. Like, when the first one, when the first bit of the fireball goes off, he definitely kind of flinches. Like, oh, oops. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, all right, Kelly Wan, so uh, it is now down to your number one, because you stole my number two. I stole Dingus's number one pick. Oh, no, no. So, Dingus, Dark Knight was my favorite, so what is your favorite instance of someone walking away from an explosion all right so each one of mine deal with somebody who isn't because i the the fearless part or the as far as chaos and fear and how uh, joker deals with that and how james bond deals with goldfinger explosion because it's not going to hurt him he knows exactly where he's going he doesn't have to worry about this fireball coming from behind him which is so annoying in a lot of these we're walking away from a fireball that could kill us um each one of these and this is what i tried to do with this is choose ones that the reason they're walking away coolly from an explosion is because either they're not afraid of or they're not going or it's not going to hurt them so this is an absurd one uh because you guys don't like this movie or don't know it as well as i do um but this is this is absolutely my favorite and the more i watch it 
uh, especially this particular scene, the more I like it. And there's a reason this this character is not at all afraid of the fireball and why he walks away from it so assuredly. And here's a quote from it. You look like a man fixing to do a bad thing. Which cat scene is in its kid? No. I like that movie, so it can't be that. Exactly. Uh, oh, Singing in the Rain. Because that's the clue, is that we don't know it as well as Dingus knows it. It's got to be Singing in the Rain. That's close. It's X-Men Origins Wolverine. So, in X-Men Origins Wolverine, uh, there's this awesome moment. or Well, no, I wouldn't say awesome. Awesome is too big of a word. But after um, Wolverine has had his skeleton changed, and he runs off to this farmhouse to hide, um, they come after him to kill him. Uh, they kill these innocent people, and he's super mad about this. He's super upset. He's also very confused by his new state of being. Um, and this is uh, this moment where he finally kills Agent Zero in the helicopter. And he wa- as he walks away from the helicopter that's been down, and Agent Zero again kind of gives him, I don't know, just taunts him yet again. Who's Agent um, Zero? What is that? You say is that? Something people should know what that is. I have no. Who's Agent Zero? I've told you about Agent Zero before. He's the guy with the guns who flips them around, and he can. He he's the super sniper guy. Deadpool? No. Uh, <laughs> who plays him? I don't. I couldn't tell you. Some Asian dude. Kelly Wan, do you know who Agent Zero is? Do you know? No, this I need Karen. <laughs> All right, so I didn't know if this was something that Agent most people Zero. Would know about. Agent Zero is a guy who's super efficient with weapons and and can jump over all kinds of things and whatnot. And um, Danny, very Houston, Danny Houston sends him to kill, um, uh, sends him to kill Wolverine before he's actually Wolverine. Um, sends him to kill him because he's gone rogue. But this is right after he's been transformed. Um, I don't mean rogue and isn't rogue, but he's just. You know, he's run off of, off the reservation, as they say. Um, and so they're flying in helicopters. Humvees are coming after him. And this is the first time that Wolverine is really getting used to his claws. I mean, after he slices up the the uh, bathroom of the couple who's taken him in. Um, and so uh, as Wolverine is walking away from the chopper, that uh, it, this, oh, this, this is a great moment where he takes down the chopper using his new claws by slicing through the rotors of the chopper so it comes down. Oh, it's so great. It's a great moment. Um, so he walks away from the chopper, and when Agent Zero taunts him about the people, he's, he basically says, you know, innocent people always seem to die around you. Then, uh, you know, the the fuel from the chopper is running down this down these rivulets next to the road, and he, like, snicks out his adamantium claws and sparks up the... This huge conflagration of flame. It's it's the that classic idea of somebody walking away from this enormous explosion going on behind them. But you understand that Wolverine can do that with impunity. It doesn't matter. It, a huge uh-huh. explosion could go on behind him, and it's not going to hurt him. So it's not it's not a dude being cool. It's a dude knowing no matter what explodes behind me, I'm going to heal. So go ahead. I couldn't care less. I know that you're dead. Blow up the world behind me. I'm going to heal. So all three of these are, there's a reason why they're walking away. And there's a reason why they're cool about walking away. Uh, either they're fearless or they're far away from it 
or they're going to heal from it. Okay, here's why that falls apart. Even if I'm Wolverine <laughs> and I'm indestructible and the explosion isn't going to hurt me, I'd want to see it, right? Like if it looks cool, I like I like watching fireworks. If you're Wolverine? Yeah, like fireworks, for instance, are not going to hurt me. But I like you watching. You think Wolverine likes watching explosions? Sure. Like He's been in the Civil War, Tom. He knows what's happening. Because that's – I don't know. I, how does an explosion ever get old? That's a good point, actually. I'm just thinking. Uh, that's true. They go on forever. Just because I'm indestructible doesn't mean I don't enjoy pyrotechnics. That's a good hmm. point. And you're like Wolverine. We do have certain things in common. Yeah. I'm not sure what, There's, but I'm sure there are certain things. We both like berries. Pepper. We both like berries. Uh-huh. Yeah. You like uh, Asian ladies. You like snow peas. You um, hate helicopters. Um, I'm I kind of like helicopters though. You so like no, helicopters? Okay. Might, yeah, I've, Wolverine and I might have to part ways, aren't there? So if you were in the lobster universe, you'd pretend to like helicopters. <laughs> <laughs> you like soup. Yeah. Kelly Wand, what is the best instance of someone walking away from an explosion? I'll do a line from it. <clears throat> Fuck you, asshole. <laughs> so is it Terminator 2? Yeah, it's the T-1000 when he gets out of the truck and he's like kind of bored. It's like, oh, you rascals. Now, which one is it? It's that one. It's the one where T-2 gets out of the burning truck. That's oh, the, the one in the, in the L.A. River at that, that moment? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, it's the first time we saw like liquid metal be uh, bored by an explosion, and so it was kind of like it's basically just derivative of what you were saying, where it's like, like he doesn't care. See, the Terminator wouldn't care about the explosion. Right, robots don't get dazzled by pyrotechnics. Yeah, he would be interested right. in seeing it. He's just focusing on the prize, but he also seems very uninterested. He do, it's not going to hurt him, and he's also walking really slowly and bored because you know he's calculating. So yeah, I thought you were going to choose the, the tire that comes rolling up to them that's on fire. <laughs> because Arnold Schwarzenegger that's first like, cocks his gun to shoot at something, and he thinks, is that is this, do I have oh, to shoot Oh, God, this that's tire? right. Oh, my God. And he, and he thinks, <laughs> I think he's thinking, is the tire the T-1000, like, pretending to be a tire? His programming is not sophisticated enough to tell the difference at that range. Um, but then they drive away, and then what, what's great is that you hear the – what I love about that scene, and I, I really do love that scene, that choice, Kelly Wan, is, that, is, the, is the way – and I remember this from the first time I saw this movie. Um, and I, I loved watching this sequence again this week uh, because of the way he looks at that weird mannequin in this mall that, has, that looks like him. There's like a chrome – like chrome plated mannequin in one of the stores in the mall that he that robert patrick just gives a look to like uh, are you one of us no okay and he keeps moving on but when he's walking out when he's reconstituting himself out of that that out of those flames after the after he crashes the truck into that part of the la river um is the way that his feet sound on the cement of the la river yeah plank squishy plank no it's 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 metallic Oh, I remember that you could hear the water, though. Oh, yeah. Well, you 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 also see, you know, John Connor, like driving his motorcycle through the water. And I mean, I really I really love that sequence. So I, I really kind of love this pick, Kelly. Kelly, what was the name of the topic again? Walks away from explosions. Hmm. I thought it was people walking away from explosions. No. <laughs> All right. What? You would, you would be in trouble if it was. Um, the robots, not a people. 
one of the things I was thinking of is, is did Kelly Wand mean, because I didn't listen to you say it again, Kelly, like that cool guys walking away from explosions? Or did, did you mean somebody who survives an explosion and is able to walk away from it? Oh, no, I knew exactly. I mean, I get what you're saying, Dingus. If someone with more nuance than Kelly Wand had introduced that topic, I might have wondered that. But I clearly knew Kelly Wand was doing that whole trope of people walking away from explosions. Right. Yeah. Because there's there's a couple of my runners up that I played with that idea, Tom. That it's somebody like who who survived an explosion and right. sort of able to walk away from it. Right, right, right. All right. Well, Kelly Wand, uh, what do the <sighs> listeners have to say about this awesome topic? Paul Weimer writes, "Hi guys, I hope you guys won't have to slow walk away from my three by three picks this week." <laughs> Fifth Beetle. Number three in Con Air, Cyrus the Virus, Malkovich, walks away from the explosion of the gas station he's just set on fire. While his buddies shudder at the sound of the explosion, Cyrus doesn't break stride as he leaves the mayhem he caused behind him. I'm a Con Air apologist. I know Tom doesn't understand it. He feels strongly politics are misguided. Number two, in the fifth element, Jean-Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg, Gary Oldman, walks away from the room where he has just delivered a crate of dangerous weapons to his allies, knowing that one of them is going to press the wrong button and cause a rather large explosion from self-destructing weapons. He smokes a cigarette in a self-satisfied exit from the scene, telling a subordinate to get me the priest. That's a good one. Remember that one? Good. Number one, in the original Iron Man, Tony Stark, Robert Downey Jr., shoots at a tank, firing haplessly at him. And in an epitome of cool, turns and walks away even before his return fire missile blows up the tank, giving him a cool explosion to walk away from. Boom. Best regards, Paul Weimer. That's a good one, too, huh, guys? Remember the Iron Man? Remember my topic? I actually tried to watch Con Air again this week. Oh, Ah. wow. And just, like... Bail dingus, like because normally you you'll stick with a lot of trash. No, I watched the whole thing. It's just painful because I like I like the idea of what he's talking about that everybody else flinches and and the Cyrus the virus does not. Um, but it's just it's so terrible. It's such a terrible movie, and it's not just him lighting a gas station on fire. It's that one of his henchmen tries to take off in another plane, and he lights that when when John Cusack's character cuts that plane off and that plane is dripping gasoline, Cyrus like gets one of his friend's cigarettes and throws it on that guy so that he dies. I mean, it's, and then he just walks away and everybody else. One of the things I do like about it is that they all flinch, but it's like a second and a half. It's not even worth it. Kelly Wand, you're team Con Air, me and Dingus, team Armageddon. Yeah. I'm also team Rock. The Rock. Yeah, I'm, I'm Team Dwayne Johnson, not Team Rock. <sighs> Brian Kent writes, Children of Men, I watched the opening scene again out of context of the rest of the movie, having only to watch the entire film the one time. It's an interesting piece of filmmaking, but it now seems so real as to be quite disturbing, actually. For some reason, when I first saw this movie, the opening didn't stick out as memorable. Only hearing it mentioned once or twice on your podcast made it come to mind. Coming, Going back... Some of the ideas expressed in that short two minutes during the news broadcast about borders being closed, illegal immigrants being deported, and the explosion itself felt awfully relevant to the news of recent years. It kind of freaked me out. Thanks, Kelly Wan. I, you know, uh, I played with that as well. Um, 
he's if you think about walking away from an explosion before it happens, then yeah. Yeah, I don't remember the walk after it. There's no there's nothing after it. It immediately cuts. And that's the thing. I mean, I, I watched it to try to see because he puts his cup of coffee down on that thing and then he pours his flask into it and then the explosion happens and it immediately cuts to title card and then. But Isn't if you think about it as – what you say? Isn't there someone looking for their arm? Oh, yeah. oh, that's a good point. Yeah, there's a woman walking out and actually she's carrying her arm. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, quote, it's almost nine o'clock. We got to go to work. The Blues Brothers. It's a two for one. Carrie Fisher shoots a rocket launcher at Jake Blues for reasons yet unknown, completely destroying the facade of Elwood's apartment, covering the boys in rubble. <laughs> oh, this is a wonderful one. I love this. That was during my prime. <laughs> this is a wonderful one. Is this, yeah. Who is this? Uh, Brian Kent. Oh, this is a wonderful one because they have because their apartment gets collapsed. Yeah, and they just kind of have to brush themselves off and walk away. With that analogy, what just happened? Jake and Elwood, covered in dust and rocks, walk away from the explosion into the apartment. The next shot shows them going up the stairs. Their suits completely clean, but a few rocks have been placed on their shoulders, which they brush away <laughs> casually. The next morning, Carrie sets off a bomb, completely destroying the apartment. The boys climb out from under a pile of bricks, completely unfazed. Elwood states the preceding quote, and they walk away. <laughs> That's so wonderful. She totally so forgot the whole thing where he's making toast with like a coat hanger. Yeah. That's so beautiful. That's a great one. Tom, you like Blues Brothers? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah it's, it's better Landis. Sure. Rollers. It's Shit. no American Werewolf in London. Is uh, it your, you know, is it your favorite Steven Spielberg acting moment? Who is he in it? In Blues Brothers? Yeah, he's a police chief. No, he's not. He plays a tax collector, and not not tax, uh, a tax assessor. When they have to go up to the to the office to turn in their taxes, he's the guy that is like, "Oh, we're closed," and then they carry him in. Well, and that's why he got into directing. That was his short-lived acting career. It didn't work out. Oh, that's a great choice. Uh, here's a quote. Chinese accent. Bark, bark, woof. At the end of Gravity, Sandra Bullock slowly walks away from the explosion of nearly every single vehicle that's brought her to this point, washing up on a beach in her underwear. I only just saw Gravity last week and then listened to that episode of the podcast. was surprised to hear most of you down on Sandra Bullock up until her performance in Gravity. I recommend Miss Congeniality as well. <laughs> I like her in Speed and uh, Demolition Man. And I'm a Heat fan. I mean, what's the deal? I, yeah, I love her in Heat. I like her as an actress. She just makes a lot of rom-coms I have no interest in. It's not her. It's just, you know, it's gravity is unusual. It's not her. Yeah, it's, it's me, yeah. Bark Bark Wolf makes me think of uh, – I'm sorry to go back to the movie, but Dogtooth has this whole weird Bark Bark thing. And I think that um, uh, okay. Lobster is a dog movie and Dogtooth might be a cat movie. Anyway, moving on. Huh. Arthur Jovan and Jelly writes, Number three, Eraser. Arnold Schwarzenegger traps several villains in a car and leaves the car in some train tracks. Just <laughs> remember that. He's done a lot of cool shit. Just before the train hits the car, he calls them to say, You've just been erased. 
and then walks away as the car explodes from the impact. That's the last thing they ever hear, his voice. Number two, Cloak and Dagger. The main character's father is forced to fly a pair of murderers out of the country. Murderers. But manages to intentionally crash the airplane, causing a huge explosion. Just when it looks like he's been killed, the father comes walking out of the explosion, securing a happy ending. (laughs) Why would you pick that, though? That sounds like a deus ex machina. Data sex machina. Number one, the other guys. Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg approach a building just before it explodes and are floored by the blast. Afterwards, they complain of hearing loss due to the blast. Mention how being near an explosion never seems to harm people in movies. Tell me, what was the name of the topic again? <laughs> Walking away from huh. Sounds like someone needs to be, Arthur Giovanginelli needs to be pulled over for his number one. He's got the direction wrong. Uh, yeah, go on. Grant Stewart, right? Mm-hmm. Just let him drive on by. All right. I'm what? gonna be his. I'm gonna be his advocate because he picked Cloak and Dagger. Okay. <laughs> I, I see the level of police work in this in this uh, in this three by three. All well, right. the, at least it's it's the Big Easy. That's no, fine. Work. It's chaos. Whatever. Yeah. Sure. Uh, yeah. It's Captain America. Team Iron Man's upset. Wants Kelly to sign the Sokovia Accords of three by three. That's how you sound to me, Grant Stewart. Right. <laughs> A wolf and a penguin can never live together, nor can a camel and a hippopotamus. That would be absurd. That's what I have to say. That's me. That's me on this podcast. That's right. How great was that camel, by the way? Wait, so why are you quoting Zootopia? Grant Stewart writes, My three best exits from the vicinity of an explosion... See, he's got exit. He's got See, the, the lawyer. Right, right off the bat, he knows Wait, what proposition he's working with. From the vicinity, all right. From the vicinity of an explosion are as follows. Number three, the core. Oh, boy. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah, already. What was the name of the topic again, Kelly Wan? <laughs> Walking away from an explosion. It seems like the uh, mode of travel needs to be more peripatetic. <laughs> I was going to say that, but then I lost interest. Okay, so this isn't walking away from an explosion, but I figure the quarter to three cops very understanding. See, Tom, he's trying to splash me some thigh. <laughs> the climax of the movie involves the crew of an unobtainium ship drilling rig, dropping nuclear bombs in the center of the earth and riding the pressure wave out of the earth's crust. What a cinematic marvel. <laughs> wow. Sorry, not, not pedestrian enough. Literally. <laughs> That is the most egregious. <sighs> That's a tough one to exonerate. I gotta be honest. But this one's good. Number two, the guest Dan Stevens shows up looking for My- Mika. Mika. I, I sat next to her mom, and I forget how to pronounce her name. Looking for Mika Monroe. Monroe. Yeah. Monroe. Thank you. At the restaurant where she works, but only finds her uncooperative colleague. She's not uncooperative. Naturally, he shoots her in the chest, then rolls a couple grenades into the restaurant. He strolls out with a look of mischief on his face. Number one, Dark Knight. My guess is this one swept the board, but the Joker dressed as a nurse walking away from the hospital before blowing it up. Great scene and great work doing the practical effects of miniature for blowing up the hospital. Take care, chaps. Grant. I do like that, Grant, because we uh, we neglected to point it out because it's such a strong visual for all of us. That yeah, the Joker is wearing the nurse's uniform. I mean, it's such yeah. a key element of that scene. Yeah. What, what's awesome is that he takes that wig off when he turns around to shoot the cop, uh, and his hair is just as 
stringy and long and weird anyway. Yeah. And and then all that arm flapping. I mean, but he, I mean, there's no reason to wear the wig. <laughs> he really is a joker. Chris Markardson writes, Hey guys, I'm hoping at least one of my picks wasn't previously chosen by someone else. Uh, uh, I don't think I'm going to allow this number three. Wow, you're pulling Whoa. over Markinson. You let someone, you let, I think it was Grant Stewart, get, get by with the core, and you're going to pull Markinson over. I can't wait to hear how awful this is. Go ahead, Kelly. But he, he showed his Heath Ledger card, and it was like, well, all right, Mr. Mayor. Number three, after setting off a series of explosions on a golf course in Caddyshack... Carl Spackler gets up off the ground and quickly walks away. Okay, he's kind of running away because he caused the explosions. So, eh, it's a good scene. All right, I'll let you go. Since Tom's not making any noises, (laughs) it's probably legal. Number two, two grenades shouldn't cause a massive explosion and fireball, but in Desperado's universe, they do. This leads to a scene of Antonio Banderas and, more importantly, Selma Hayek walking away from the resulting conflagration. I think it's the poster. Number one, man on fire. I've mixed – I don't know why I said it like that. I've mixed feelings about the movie in general, but I thought the placement of an explosive device inside the rear end of a bad guy was kind of novel. I don't remember that. Come on, it's, it's the ass bomb. Has that's the most? That's the only worth memorable scene uh, in Man on Fire. Is that why it's called that? I don't even. I just called it that. Butt bomb, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, he puts a bomb in a guy's butt. How can you not remember Kelly Wan? How can you? If you see Man on Fire, how can you possibly forget that? No, I mean, is that why the movie's called that? <laughs> <laughs> and so Denzel Washington walking away from the resulting explosion is my favorite. Thanks, guys, Chris. Oh, I thought it was the guy with the bomb. Like he was just walking with a limp afterwards. Like oh. All right. I, I've seen the movie, if that helps. Who's the little girl in it? Dakota Fanning. Kidnapped? Isn't uh, it Dakota yeah. Fanning? One of the Fannings, isn't it? No, it's Dakota. Yeah. It's the, uh, since the, the one who's been allergic to peanut butter since birth, right? Yeah. yeah. That's Dakota, yo. All right, that's it. Uh, right, see, if, if I knew that we could get away with stuff like the core, I, I love um, – I mean it's, it's because I do think this guy is cool enough, but I love Max driving away at the end of Mad Max. Mad Max itself isn't that great a movie, but what a great shot where he's chained the guy to the car. Uh, he's giving him the hacksaw, and he's like, hey, if you want to either die, you can either die or saw your own leg off. And then he drives away, and he doesn't care whether the guy lives or dies. I don't talk about driving away than the hitcher. I mean – that's See a the great explosion movie. in the background. What's the one in the Hitcher? I don't remember the Hitcher one. He, well, the original Hitcher. I mean, there's two. The Hitcher is, is the one where he, like, that iconic lights the match, drops it, and then drives his truck away as the gas station goes up in flame. And the other one is the newer Hitcher where Sean Bean is walking away from the van, but that's a walk away. Yeah, I think Mel Gibson's Mad Max is way cooler than either of those. So. Right. I mean, just as far as who's actually doing the traversal away from the explosion. Although, when I think Sean Bean is the hitcher in the remake? Yeah. yeah. Wow. I know, and there's a girl in it. Well, <laughs> yeah, the girl is the one, and the guy is the one who gets... Uh, yeah. Yeah. And oh, doesn't Jennifer Jason Lee get pulled in half in that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay, I have seen that's, that. And that's the twist in the new one, is the guy is the one who gets ripped. Huh. That's quite I, a twist. I kept trying to make Apocalypse Now work for a walk away from the, the beach scene, <laughs> but... 
Rob Duval just stands there when it, yeah, it when doesn't walk. explosions are going off on the beach. He just stands there. <laughs> He's so cool. He doesn't have to walk. Uh, my only walk away, and, and this is the one I was talking about earlier, like walks away from an explosion he survived, is in uh, um, Iron Man 3, after the after What's-Her-Name goes after him, and he sets off the microwave bomb. Um, the, after the explosion, he's hiding outside uh, behind the door of an ice machine, uh, which blows off the door of the ice machine, and he sort of stumbles away from the explosion but walks away from it since he survived it carrying this door of an, of, of an, uh, not an ice machine, but an, an ice cooler, this huge ice cooler. Kai one, no runners up for you. This was your topic. Come on. Uh, in the birds. Um, Ooh, but wait a minute. Go ahead. That's a great explosion. People walk that, from it. Every, Cause everybody crowds around to look at it. Yeah, I know, but one of the birds gets a little bit, <laughs> so it can't fly, so it walks away from the Because so, that's yeah. exactly what I'm talking about. They're all, like, at the window yelling at the guy, so when the explosion goes off, they they watch, you know? Who doesn't want to see some pyrotechnics? So I no thought you, that yeah. I think Kelly was going to say there was one penguin, and that one walks away. <laughs> a flightless uh, bird. Yeah, how do you know that bird wasn't already flightless, Kelly Wand? Yeah. Oh, like an auk? Yeah, exactly. Or an ostrich keyboard. Or an emu. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, next week's 3 by 3 is going to be super easy. This one's going to require no homework. And as a matter of fact, I could ask both of you guys right now, and you would probably know your 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 three picks. Uh, and this is also one super subjective. This is basically just what, what's your own favorite. There's going to be no wrong answers. 3 by 3 police, they basically get the day off. What I want you to do... <laughs> Pick three composers that you really like and pick what your favorite piece of music is by them. And I'm talking about movie scores, by the way. I don't care what Brahms you're into, what Stravinsky. What movie composers do you really like? Three of them. And then from each of those three, pick your favorite piece of music. Tell me why it's your favorite. But we can't play the music. Uh, unfortunately, podcast, uh, this when you write in an email, as far as I know, there's no way to attach music to an email – I guess you could. Uh, yeah. That's way beyond the technical capacities of this. You're going to have to rely on your verbal skills to explain why it's your favorite piece of music. Ew. So, yeah, you can't just say, because it's good. It doesn't do uh, it. Because <laughs> it's Wait. Uh, uh, you, you can. If that's, as, if that's as articulate as you're capable of being, that will be allowed. So I want to know your three favorite compu- composers, and from each one, no doubling up, by the way, don't pick – well, I won't even give examples. Don't pick the same composer more than once. Then you'll be in trouble. Then I'm going to call the police in. Uh, three different composers from each one, your favorite piece of music from that composer. I and, love this so much. And the thing is, yeah, exactly. The, the <laughs> challenge is only three. Don't be writing in. A lot of times when you write in, you <sighs> give us your runners-up. Nobody's going to get any runners-up on this one. Damn it, No one, Tom. not even us. Yep, no runners-up. No. Uh, By the way, and when you're miss, when you're picking a piece of music, don't go, well, this one's really good, and that one's really good, and that one's really good, but of those that I all really like, I guess I would probably pick this one or this one, but probably this one. Nope. You just tell me about one piece of music by that composer. Do we need to match it to a scene? No. You can just – no, no, because a lot of times, like, the music is used in multiple scenes. Uh, so, no, absolutely not. Just a piece of music, why it's important to you, why you like it, why it's your favorite uh, from those two composers. Damn it. 
good luck, gentlemen, because I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, I'd like... You're making me start thinking now. Thanks a lot. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yes. We want to hear from you guys as well. Listeners, send your picks to 3x3 at quarter2three.com. We want to read them on the air. If you would like to see nice guys with us, that's what we're seeing next week, <laughs> Shane Black movie, uh, and you have anything you'd like to say about it, we would love to read your comments. Send those also to 3x3 at quarter to 3com Make sure to put them in a separate email, though, so we know which email is the 3x3 and which are your comments about the nice guys. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian Misklee. It's Christian Morosky. That was close. And we had Kelly Wand. Hey, if I was an animal, I'd be a computer. Dingus, we did a podcast. Try harder. Oh, what? <laughs> I don't remember that. From Prometheus? Uh, you're the one I think oh, of. Oh, yeah, yeah, Lobster, right, right. Yeah, remember that movie? You're the one I think of whenever I need a friend. I swore an oath to keep it secret. This lie has kept apocalypse at bay for hundreds of years. We were afraid if the queen's heart was destroyed, you'd lose your immortality or die. That wasn't your choice to make! Aren't those the same thing, though? If you die, you've lost your mortality? Alright. I'm not a doctor, but... Well... Hmm. Just saying...